journey through the wasteland of Charlie's Theron's movie career. My name is Bob Shields, and with me, as always, are Regina Connolly. Hello. Robin Hitchcock. Hi. And returning to the show, we have the very delightful Justin Tunney. Hello. That, again, gives us all three parts of our junior local comedy troupe, which is blowing up right now. Thank you, I think. (laughs) Much like this movie, because the movie we are doing is Mad Max Fury Road. The one you've all been waiting for, because it's everyone's favourite Charlie's movie. Uh, So do we have one certain review? Yes. Whoa! (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Ooh, yeah. (laughs) Also, apologies to my sleeping brother. So this is a world-renowned, exciting movie, much like... A uh, very few action movies of the uh, last decade or so, just relentlessly thrilling from start to finish. Correct. Do we even want to do a plot summary? This yes. Is, this, this kind I want to do a quick plot summary. Okay. <laughs> this is a kind of such as it is kind of plot summary because it's basically a, a long game of Mario Kart. So here's wow. the plot summary: We're in a dystopian wasteland. Charlize Theron, who plays Furiosa, is sneaking out some dentato chastity belt wearing brides of uh, dystopian Donald Trump. Yeah. They get into a giant truck and drive all the way one direction. Then they reach that point, decide that the best course of action is to go back. Then they go back to overthrow the dystopian patriarchy. Uh, end of movie. That's it. That's the entire. That's that's the movie. Yep. I think it should be mentioned that uh, like this movie was not necessarily written as it was actually designed. Correct. So like the the way this movie was put together was they had literally like models and like designed stunts and like you want this sequence to go like this and then they mapped out like every frame like how they wanted it to look and it's meticulously designed and even like one of the model makers, the people who make like the miniature sets and stuff. Got a writing credit because of how instrumental oh, that's that so worked. Interesting. I know, right? But I think for something that wasn't necessarily explicitly written as a script, mm-hmm. it's very tight, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely, and very incredibly detailed in the world that it builds. I was without explaining just going to say that the world building in this is incredible, and I think one of the things that's so great about this movie is that it is the fourth movie in its series, but there is absolutely no need to have ever seen any other Mad Max movie to know exactly what's going on mm-hmm. and everything you could ever care to know. So I should mention, I was attempting to go on a deep dive and uh, got all three other Mad Max movies because I'd only ever seen The Road Warrior before. And you're right, there I mean, there are some hints that they talk about, like, but you pick up from context where it's like, oh, he's lost everything, like, you know, yeah. he's a broken man kind of thing. And you do see that progression throughout the uh, the movies. I've still not seen Beyond Thunderdome. I was also originally planning to revisit the old ones. I'm not sure I've ever seen the first Mad Max. So I wasn't sure if I'd seen it either. I 
I still am not not sure if I remember it was it, on TV I think, when I was a kid. So I think that that is sort of an Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2 situation where the Road Warrior is like the real movie that people care about. So it's not because it fo- the Road Warrior actually follows directly on from the second one. But isn't it like the good one? Right. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's Terminator 2 to Terminator. Like, right. It is, the, it is the, the one he always wanted to make, I right. think. And then Beyond Thunderdome is one of those movies that was on TV all the time. That's what I hear. And so I am not sure I've ever sat down and watched it. Right. But I have for sure seen it cobbled together yeah. and find it delightful. So one of the things I wanted to mention about The Road Warrior is uh, it's really, really good. And it is told like a kind of medieval tale. You have like a castle, which is like this oil refinery. And you have, you know, a, a horde attacking it. And Mad Max is like this wandering knight. And when you look at like the inception of how Fury Road was made, it was written like a fairy tale. Yeah. So it's written as like there was a great king and he had his concubines. And, you know, one of the his the king's most fearless warriors stole them away and all this kind of stuff. And like and it goes on like that. And then there was a great chase throughout the wilderness and that kind of thing. And so it, it when it's the like the the napkin that this was written on the back of <laughs> is like a, a scroll for medieval times. So I wanted to because there's obviously no Ebert or Mebert for Fury Road, I did go back and look at his review of The Road Warrior, which apparently was called Mad Max 2 everywhere else in the world. Yes, the title for it says Mad Max 2. I literally did not know that until yesterday, which I feel like I would have known. But anyway, (laughs) his opening sentence is, The Road Warrior is a film of pure action, of kinetic energy organized around the barest possible bones of a plot. And I was like, wow, that also perfectly <laughs> describes oh, yeah. Fury Road. And I wonder if that was, like, up on the wall. And they're like, let's do this again. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and he gave it three and a half stars, and he goes on to describe it very accurately, and it, but, like, to my memory. Mm. But then also, it's like, yeah, all of this also applies to Fury Road. Like, it's interesting that these movies made 25 years apart yeah. Yeah. manage the same feat. Yes, absolutely. So is a lot of the stuff in Fury Road from the older movies, like... Or is it a more, kind of like a, if this is true, what else is so, true? So kind yeah, of so it's like it's like it. What one of the things that carries on is I, I think the characters that he has like flashbacks of, like you left us behind, like you left us all die kind right. of thing. I think those are supposed to be characters from The Road Warrior. Okay, different actor, obviously. But you clearly don't need to know that to right. Right. get yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's got a past. He's yeah. sad about it. It's bad. <laughs> so I do want to talk about everyone's movie watching experience of this because we've all seen this twice now. And so for me, I saw this movie in theaters yes. with Robin Elaine Hitchcock. Yes, correct. And it is, I would say, like easily top five like movie going experiences of my life. I, like when I yep. saw it. Like I I felt like I could jump to the moon after I saw right. this. I was like just so like overwhelmed and like emotionally moved by this action movie as well and I wasn't expecting like Furiosa to like mean so I was just like right. I'm gonna go see Cars Blow Up great I'm, I'm up for that exactly I was like wait a second so I both get to watch Cars Blow Up and fight the patriarchy yeah <laughs> with my girl Charlize Theron right. with a shaved head I was like I'm here for this and like the action sequences I was so like overwhelmed by and I am someone as Bob Shields can attest like I really want to know what people are saying and I'm not great oh, at hearing things 
<laughs> so in the movie, it, it is very difficult, I think, to understand what people are saying through a solid half of this movie, both because they're speaking a specific world building lingo and also because they're mumbling while guitars are being played with flames shooting out of them. <laughs> like you do. So when I was watching the movie specifically, when the guitar that shoots flames on top of a giant truck came out, oh, yeah. I remember just being like, I'm so here for this. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I just like, it's the kind of thing that like elicits a cheer. And I'm like, maybe this is what people who like sports feel like all the time. <laughs> and I was just like, this is ridiculous and I love it. I watched it last night. We had just bought an oscillating fan. So I had an oscillating fan running very close to the television. And so I couldn't hear it at all. And then we turned it up crazy loud. And then both the movie is too quiet and too loud. Yes. And the fan was going. So I'm like, what is even like blowing my Sensory mind? Overload. What is happening? Yeah. So we, we turned on, we turned the subtitles on and I think it helped a lot. Yes. And I think I caught a lot of detail that I probably would not have caught, even Sam's oscillating fan. Uh, So I turned the subtitles on because I had never watched it with subtitles, and I learned things like they call it guzzling. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I eventually turned them off, and I never do this. I watch everything with subtitles. I hate, like, I feel like such a jerk saying this, but I was like, it's disrupting the frame. And I was like, I really just want to look at how pretty this movie is. I struggle with that, too. I I can't have subtitles on and read and look at the movie at the same time. It's it's why I can't watch it. I'm very good at doing that because my hearing's not great, so. Same. (laughs) But so, this is my second time watching the movie for the podcast, and I was watching it on my iMac laying down on my couch with a cat asleep on my chest. And it's a very different film experience watching it in your house than in the theaters. And I usually want people like, oh, you got to see this one on the big screen. I'm like, do you? It's fine to watch No, but you do. But this one, one I definitely, like, I... A, like, don't rewatch a ton of movies, but this was one where, like, I still enjoyed it watching it the second time, but I don't think I will ever see this movie in a way that is as meaningful or, like, awe-inspiring as the first time I yeah, saw it. Yeah, that's totally fair. What about the first time you saw it, Justin Tunney? Uh, I sort of saw it. I was at... <laughs> this is why we asked why him I'm to here. do the show. This is why I'm here. I was at a Mad Max-themed party shortly after, I guess, its digital and Blu-ray release. I saw... I, I When I got to the party, it was about halfway through... Yeah. The first part, there was no sound on. There was music playing in the back, like dance music playing in the background. <laughs> and I, I kind of caught pieces of it. And, you know, I could probably piece together the plot just from yeah. watching it. Drive one direction. <laughs> turn, turn around. around. Turn around. <laughs> drive back. And I remember the visuals being amazing and awesome. And I was just like, intrigued. And then it ended, credits rolled, and I left for a little while. And then when I came back, it had just started over again. So I ended up watching it. Back half first, first half second, with all no sound. With no sound amidst a dance party. It was definitely beautiful and intriguing, and I pretty much grasped what was going on. Right, it could be a silent movie. Yeah. Like, if it had, t- like, the, the lines that are in it are very short. So, like, if it just had a title card come up being like, you want to get that thing off your face? Yeah. And then he agrees. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Or even just, like, point to it. Like, yeah, because, exactly. and he even does that in the like mm-hmm. he'll with the when he, the scene where he's got the shotgun pointed at all the yeah he's just uh, grunting yeah he's like <laughs> and even the subtitles are like grunts <laughs> <laughs> well people show that green cap all the time of uh, men shouting distantly oh yeah and it's furiosa looking uninterested it's very useful for the internet also the that's bait I've seen I love oh, yeah. that <laughs> that's great. oh yeah that's by the way that's my Tom Tom Hardy said if that's bait yeah like so. Tom Hardy, he's an actor, he's in my my James McAvoy whatever list where I'm like, I don't get him. Oh yeah, you don't know why he's attractive? Or, 
a movie star. <laughs> See, I think of him like Andy Circus. I'm like, is he in things? I don't know. People keep talking about him. <laughs> I couldn't pick him out of the line. I think that that is part of his appeal. Yeah, he's a chameleon. Like, right, he... I think that he has like a Keanu Reeves blank slate element to him or it's different because you're right he changes yes but i think that directors like him because he doesn't come with any he's not like tommy lee jones where when you cast him you're like this is the specific correct yeah Yeah, like he disappears into every role they can impose their vision upon him okay i think although like i only know bane's ridiculous voice was his acting choice Yeah. Oh, see, I thought that was very funny. Okay. <laughs> Is it supposed to be funny, though? <laughs> you can imitate it by talking into a cup. Yeah. <laughs> but that being said, he does work in this movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, but His sure. blankness is very useful in this and, movie. And also, he's not similar to Mel Gibson. Like, yeah, you which yeah. is... Let's be real. Right. (laughs) Also, I don't know if this is a cinematography thing or an acting choice on his part and uh, Warboy, who is played by... Nicholas Holt. Yeah. By Beast. Beast. Oh. (laughs) Like the idea of Nicholas Holt being a pile of yeast. (laughs) What I was going to say is, I I don't know, again, if this is the filming, but they both have a rodent-like speed the way that they do things sometimes. Yeah, they they speed up the film at various points for effect in this movie. And I feel like when he's doing the, like, get this off my face, like, they're very jerky in a way that I think removes them from humanity as much as their, like, lack of speaking and the way that he has a metal grate on his face. I think they do things, like, physically as well as visually, which I thought was really fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, it's a very physical movie, this. Like, everyone is exerting maximum effort all the time. (laughs) So I have a personal story about this movie, which is when I lived in South Africa. Oh, no shit, really? Yeah, I know, it's never come up. I lived there while they made this movie in the bordering country, Namibia, Mm -hmm. and one of the women on the local improv team, The Long Shots, Annalie Mueller, was a stunt woman and stunt driver on the film in Namibia. And mm. when they had to do reshoots or additional shooting, I guess, in mm. Australia, yeah. she had to go away to do that. And so she had to take a long-term hiatus from the long shots, and they asked me to join to fill in the gap. So the reason I joined my first improv team was Mad Max Fury Road doing reshoots. So (laughs) thank you, people who held up the production in Namibia. (laughs) You changed my life. So the the director of this is a guy called George Miller, uh, who directed all three previous Mad Max movies and... Babe, Babe. <laughs> yeah, and the first Babe, I believe. I think someone else directed the first. Oh, Babe. really? Okay. But who starred in Babe Pig in the City in high school? At grade school, actually, <laughs> fourth grade, my class illegally adapted the book <laughs> into a, a script. We literally made photocopies and cut dialogue out and pasted it on new pieces of paper in, into script format and. We um, had auditions and voted as a class who would play which roles, and I won the role of Babe the Pig and played it on stage. So you you are just like parallel entwined with George Miller. Yes, right. (laughs) You guys are such a meat cute. But actually, I've never seen Babe Pig in the City. For the same reason I've never seen Before Midnight, I'm like, I'm not ready. <laughs> I haven't seen it, but everybody says it's amazing. I know. Yeah. I'm like, because well, Babe was so. I love that movie so much. Because aside from like it being personally important to me, like yeah. that's a great movie. And I yeah, know that yeah. Babe Pig in the City is a better movie. And I'm like, can't, can't do it. And I'm like, who, who how, when has ever a sequel that goes to the city been better than the original? <laughs> right. Never. I mean, 
Urban Harvest. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Is it really better than the original? Who can say? I've never say seen definitively? them. Um, what I was going to say, George Miller, he did obviously the three Mad Max movies when he was working as a movie maker in Australia. And then he went and did like Babe Pigman City and like the Happy Feet movies. Yeah. And then sort of came out of retirement to do this. Well, he also had the aborted Justice League project. Oh, oh I, know I that. just watched that. At one point, he was making a Justice League movie. They got Army Hammer on to play Bruce Wayne. Oh. Can you oh, imagine this is that? One of his failed attempts to become a superstar. Yes, one of his many, many failed attempts. He's now a medium star and he can he's accept pre- that. He's alright. He's Army great. <laughs> he's that tall guy who played the Winklevoss twins. Oh yeah, yeah. He yeah. suffers from weird name. <laughs> Regardless, George Miller. George Miller. So what I was wondering is, did George Miller come out of retirement to be because of the shoddy state of action movies? I want. I mean that that tracks <laughs> for sure because like most action movies, like when you hear like the behind the scenes of them, they're like, yeah, we just kind of didn't know we wanted. We're just going to fill it in with special effects later, like Star Trek Into Darkness when J.J. Abrams is talking about how they made that. They're like, yeah, we just kind of showed up and made it work. No, they did not. They did not. (laughs) Right. So when do you think he came out of retirement being like, guys, you're fucking it up. This is how you do it. Even with basically no script, this is how it's done. Like the Transformers movies are atrocious. Like and the the vast majority of uh, like big budget action movies are really bad. And I think people have started making excuses being like, yeah, but it's just a movie. Like that's the movie it is. Giant robots fighting each other. Yeah. And so he's done this to prove the opposite. Like, no, you can have stupid giant cars with enormous sound systems and a blindfolded guy playing a flamethrower guitar on it and it still be an engaging and meaningful movie yeah. with all that ridiculous action and basically no script. So I'm going to I'm going to counterpoint though in that I do think that there have been good action movies over the past or the 10 years before this, but they were yes. mostly entirely within the comic book subgenre. Right. So that which is different. It has yeah, yeah. different tropes and things to prop it up. Like, pure action, I think, definitely was suffering. I think that the big thing about the action in this movie that resonated with me is that everything was 100% clear what was happening at yes. any given time. That's the other thing. No shaky cam or yeah. anything like that. Yeah, And and just very masterfully, like, planned and orchestrated. Like, that yeah. whole scene with the where he's fighting with the chain on his head and they're, yes. like, yanking each other around. I love and that. Charlie Zenith, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but like, for example, Transformers. When I think of that movie, I'm I'm watching it and going, "What? What is even happening?" Right. It, it's indecipherable. Yes. Two big hunks of metal rolling around on the ground. Well, I also think that they do a really good job of not just making it clear like what's happening, which not every movie does, but he repeatedly shifts your focus of what you're supposed to be caring about. Like in one of the initial chases when Immortan Joe realizes that Furiosa has stolen his women and like the whole city is going after them and Tom Hardy is strapped to the front of the car as it a looks blood so bag. cool. Sometimes you're paying attention to like his peril in that point, but other times you're paying attention to like what's going on with Furiosa mm-hmm. or other times you're seeing like the, the concubines like crawling in the car. So you have like multiple points of sympathy around which all this action is happening so mm-hmm. that like you both don't get bored of the action action but also like your emotional investment keeps jumping at the same pace of the action which i think is not yeah. a thing that they often do in action movies where they're just really like let's just see a bunch of kicks and you don't know what's happening yeah he's able to do the meanwhile back at the ranch formula 
in the same event. Absolutely. It's, it's really, really impressive. And they also play with sound a lot. Like, the the opening chase in the movie where uh, Tom Hardy is captured, like, most movies, ha- like, that are action movies open with, like, a big chase sequence or a big fight sequence. And it's so short. Like, yeah. he loses very quickly. Yes. I think the first fight is almost entirely silent, whereas other ones have, like, these, like, swelling soundscapes. So there's a lot of, like, for something that has a very similar landscape and a similar plot from beginning to end, like, he finds so many ways to put variants in it to keep it exciting and interesting. I can't believe, I remember when I saw it in the theater and they decided that they were going to turn around. I was like, really? Really? And then it's great. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it's great both in the story, but also, like, I know we keep saying it doesn't have much of a script, but, like, narratively, like, it, yeah. it's, like, a meaningful philosophical choice yes. as well. So let's talk a little bit about this movie thematically. You know, aside from this, mo- this movie being, like, a perfect action movie, like Regina said before, like, this actually, like, became, like, very emotionally resonant for me. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of people, in particular women, we don't know. We have to, like, guess kind of what exactly happened with Furiosa but Mm -hmm. she's you know like Imran and Joe calls her like his greatest warrior so she's like been in service of him but then his wives have somehow radicalized they've decided to flee and they somehow convinced Furiosa to smuggle them out Mm -hmm. so that's all backstory and Furiosa comes from the green place which is a matriarchy that has somehow escaped the horrors of the broken world. And I think it's applied like partly like through like their farming and but also toughness but they were like they were their own isolated community and she was kidnapped and uh, her mother killed and so she was basically like raised in this Immortan Joe's civilization. So she's like okay I'm gonna take these women from their horrible situation and take them to this you know, oasis of matriarchy. And yeah, and like the memories of my childhood where things were different. And then she meets up with the, they're called like the Volva team or something. Yeah, the the Vivani or something like that. Yeah, it's it's definitely supposed to sound like Volva. She sees them and she's reunited with them and it's this really beautiful moment. And then she says, all right, like, let's go to the green place. And previously they had just had this, like, one lingering shot of them going through this swamp. Because they get stuck in a mire at some point, which yeah. is one of the coolest scenes in the whole movie. I forgot uh, how good that is. Also, your eyes are just so happy to look at blue instead of yellow. Yeah, <laughs> But then they have this really creepy shot where they're driving through this swamp and there are these people on stilts. Yeah, like crow people. Yeah, and, and a ton of actual crows. And... Furiosa finds out that the green place fell to ruin and is now that swamp. Mm-hmm. There's the iconic moment where Charlize falls to her knees and screams, which I really wanted there to be a better, more unique Charlize Zenith for me, but come on. I mean, it's she makes really it work. Come on. Yeah. Like, that's just iconic for a reason. So that's my Charlize Zenith. But anyway, she did, she's like, all right, well, we'll just keep going. We'll make it across the salt. And then Tom Hardy or Mad Max convinces her, no, go back. And I know that some people have said, like, that they don't like that he, the man is, like, his real only action to the plot is this moment where he's like, you should go back. Or some people didn't like that, like, the man ultimately tells the women how to have their revolution. And I understand that perspective, but ultimately 
it didn't ruin the movie for me. It didn't ruin the movie for me either. Like, I also had a moment of, like, oh, like, I wish she'd come to it herself yeah. in some ways. But it's also, like, it is her decision to do it. It's, right. like, it's his suggestion, but he's not, like, you have to. Right, exactly. And he doesn't push He's so it on respectful her. of her yes. at all points. Everybody is. Yeah, yeah, I mean, how could you not be? Well, exactly. Uh, but, like, I really, amazing. I love the moment when he lets her take the last shot with the rifle. Yes. Like, uh, that's so great. There's but only, like, three, there's only four bullets, and he takes two shots, and they both miss. And one of the concubines is like, you got two left. And Furiosa just looks at him. And he's kind of like, all right. There you go. And he just hands it to her. And not only does he hand her the gun, but then he leans over and is her stabilizer. Yeah. So he's just like, yep, literally use my back. That's the only thing I'm good for. Right. And she gets it in one shot, because of course she does. Yeah. I also really love the part when she first turns off the road. Yeah. Because mm. she's like taking the, the war rig uh, from point A to point B and she instead like veers off and she is covered in, the rig is covered in war boys and the head one comes in and says, what's going on? Like, where are we going? And she just says, we're going East. on a detour. Yeah, we're going this way. Uh, and he's like, cool. All right. <laughs> yep, all right. You're the boss. Like, it, it takes a long time for them to rebel against her. Yeah. I, do, I feel like the scene where, like, she decides to go back, so it's like all of them have loaded up as much supplies as they can, and they've left the war rig behind, and they're just, like, driving into an open wasteland of salt. And they don't know what's on the other side, but they're like, well, we can last 180 days, and then we'll die, and we just hope that we come across something better than. Um, and Tom Hardy's like, well, you know there's definitely water this direction and there's definitely like green stuff there and because all of the men have left to come chase after the concubines like that they're undefended is the logic of like they'd be able to take it over and yeah like like you said like watching this movie it just felt so much like like the the structure is in place that things could be better and you don't have to like abandon everything like i don't know it just i just i i don't know to me like the overall like moral is do the work yeah and i think that you know in 2015 that was a meaningful message to me. Mm-hmm. And in 2018, like, you can't just drive to the green place. You have to fix what's broken here. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, I I need that message in my life. <laughs> I also, Getting through this horrible world. I mean, like, I, I can, again, like, see people's perspective of not liking Tom Hardy being the, the source of that information. But I also think there's some element of, like, you can't do it isolated with your own people. Right. You have to work with other people in order to get that. Yeah. So they do make it back and they have the dead body of Morton Joe, which Furious is able to kill him by ripping his face off. Oh my off, God, it's so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> my, I, when it happened, I was watching it with my girlfriend, Julia, and when it happened, my jaw dropped and I turned to her and was like, what? Did your jaw fall all the way off <laughs> and get fell, dragged behind you? All the way off my face. <laughs> so, and I turned to Julia and she was like, what? Like the same reaction. I was just like, yeah. <laughs> so good. But because they come with his dead body, that's part of the reason that people are like, all right, like she's in charge now. Yeah. Which I also think like might be disappointing that it's like you need to have conquered the system on its own terms in order to take charge of it. Yeah. But it was also like, yeah, that was, re- that was believable within the framework that they've set up for the world. But like everything that happens in this movie, one of the reasons I love it so much is that everything makes sense. <laughs> yeah. It is fantastical and bizarre and unfamiliar, but every decision that everyone makes and every action that they take or, or fail at makes sense in the context of it. So, like, Or is understandable. Like, Colin gets upset about how wasteful they are if they have such limited resources. Like, right. why would you create this huge guitar flamethrower <laughs> right. rig? And I was like, okay, no, that doesn't make sense. Like, and I do think ultimately it's rule of cool, but the society being wasteful is not 
false. I also right. think that like there's there's a disproportionate gathering of resources. Right. So yeah. it makes sense for Morton Joe because he doesn't live in a world of scarcity. Right. He yes. benefits from scarcity of other people. And it's like showing off. It's like it's yeah. like basically having a military parade, you know? And yes. it's what makes the people like impressed by and obsessed with yeah. him yeah. is his display of power. And I really like the thing that they included is that his brother is like on this trek and he keeps making allusions to like this is how much gas we've used. This is yeah. how many bullets we've wasted. Like, and all of this is because of like a, a domestic squabble. But or, like the, the people leader guy. Yeah. Yes. Are yes. they yes. actually the brothers? The, uh, the bullet guy, the people leader guy, and Morton Joe. I think yes. Okay. Because, but they it also, doesn't really matter. No, it does not matter. <laughs> <laughs> but I like that they included that. Like that there was someone there who's sort of like who doesn't have authority, but is sort of powerful, but is like keeping an eye on the like. Well, actually, like we don't have all yeah. these resources for your personal whim. He loves like, his nipple thing. Yeah, yeah, holes cut around the nipples with a single chain across the middle. I'm on it. <laughs> sorry. No, never be sorry. I was, like, we were saying before we started recording that, like, I started to take notes as we watched this and very quickly stopped. I was basically I, like, I'm just watching yeah. this. I did not take a single note. My notes are very surface level. <laughs> it's like, eats a lizard. Cool. <laughs> like, like, a two-handed lizard in that. Yeah, like, that's all. And then later that guy eats a bug, too. That's cool. Can we talk yeah. about the wives for a second? Yeah. Okay, so I love the wives. And, like, I want to know everything about them. And that's, like, I think one of... I know they can't have everything there. But the thing that I wish was in this movie that isn't is just a little bit more about how the splendid... What's her name? Splendid Ankara. Ankara, yeah. How she, because she is the one who radicalized them. Yes. I want to know how she did it. I, I want to know that story. It seems like they're the only ones with access to education at all because right. they live right. in that room with all the books and the telescopes. And they have the, woman the old the, lady. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Tattoos all over her. I want to know about that. Like, it, And I know that it's like, this is good world building is like teasing me with this stuff, but yeah. I am fascinated by that. But that's, that's what makes this compelling is yeah. the implication of the rest of the world. I know. Yes. And I'm like, it's just me being greedy. And yeah. I'm like, tell me more about the wives. Well, so like, that's the same thing that makes... Uh, like people love Blade Runner for the exact same reason because it has all that implication about the the greater world that it's about. Or, That's interesting because I'm John like Wick. I'm bored. Yes, you're right. John Wick yeah, is another great example. Hotel. It's like what is going on here. One of the things I really like about the wives is that I think the movie found a way to sexualize them in context. Like an like a normal action movie would definitely have like hot babes and stringy white things, right? Uh, but this was also like yeah, like that's that makes sense that that is what they would be forced to wear. And I liked the scene when they first got to what they thought was the green place, and then many mothers are like, oh my god, they've got all their teeth. Yeah. Oh, I love that yeah. uh, that they would have been looked after. And I also really liked that they each had a different haircut color mm -hmm. where it was like he was collecting and he wanted one of every kind it really is very much like clear like he has a set yes i liked the the older women that they came to the many mothers like weren't also like women of their own age and that the woman who stayed behind to sort of defend the space as long as she could was also an older woman because uh, i feel like there's not often like a generational like mm -hmm. working together and i liked also that there was the one wife who at first was like i just want to go back this is a horrible plan i don't like this i'm not safe here cheeto the fragile i and also love their names cheeto the fragile toast the knowing <laughs> the dag i love when people have the 
in their name. <laughs> oh, it's great. But I really like, so at the beginning, she's the one, like, she tries to run back after, like, a big fight. And they're like, no, 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 you're with us now. Like, you're stuck with us. And then at the end, like, climactic fight, she goes to Immortan Joe's car and is like, take me, take me. And you think that it's her, like, turning on them. But in reality, she's doing it to, like, help Furiosa it's kill him. It's the best. It's pretty awesome. We should talk about Charlize in this movie. Oh, oh God. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, as we've mentioned, like, uh, he, Immortan Joe does have uh, a set of wives who are like his prime breeders would make sense to ask the question well under what universe would Charlie Theron not be a prime breeder for Immortan Joe but of course he she has a robot arm yeah but she was presumably born with only one or she lost that arm. I mean, well, either way, if she lost the arm before she was of age, then he would be like, okay, you're damaged goods. Yeah, yeah. okay, that's, that, that makes sense as well. But she has this robot arm, and I just think that's a really awesome detail. Yeah, I also think it could be because she was kidnapped from another tribe of people that, like, there could also be a reason for her not being, like, one of the prize breeders because, like, she is the other. Yeah. She comes from a different race. I thought the no arm was, like, a nuclear thing. Mm. That's what I, yeah, that's what I'm assuming. Yeah. It's, it's mutant, because people, like, are all fucked up in this world. Yeah. Because of nuclear fallout. Oh, that guy is the... Well, Morton Joe is so gross. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I also, I love when the war boys are, like, half-lives, and presumably because of they have radiation poisoning and are dying, but he, like, points to the little tumors. Oh, yeah. Did he Draw faces. Those are tattooed, on I think. Yeah. I think yeah. That's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> Larry Give names too, yeah. But yeah, so like, uh, she is no iconic badass. Yeah. As ingrained in culture as anyone, uh, and doesn't really. She like she is the engine that drives this whole movie. Like it's her. This movie could like it's so beautiful. Yes. But the. Like and they could have done that with Charlie without Charlie Theron, right? Like I I sure. trust in George Miller and the stunt coordinator and all those people's ability to have made this movie as beautiful as it is. But I don't think that it would be the great movie that it is without well, Charlie. I don't think anyone else could play that character. I agree. I can't imagine. I also would argue, like, although Mad Max is the title of the movie, this fundamentally this is a movie about Furiosa. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. In the same way that Ferris Bueller's Day Off is actually about Cameron, she's the only character that goes through a change from beginning to end. Right. Like Mad Max does to some extent. I mean, he becomes in that he, giving. Like he gives her his blood and tells her his name, but like no one cares. Right. But like <laughs> she goes through a more like. A, a larger change as a character and I think part of the reason like another argument that it is definitely her movie and not his is when they're in the crow wasteland he's like I'll be right back and goes off to like fight a bunch of people and the movie doesn't show him like having that big fight uh, and kicking ass it just shows him coming back with supplies yeah and I feel like if you were the real hero of the movie like they would have been like we can't miss this opportunity to see him kick an ass I love that I love, I love that that happens off screen me yep. too and then also a thing that I will, will always get me a trope that I love is when somebody comes back covered in blood and it's like are you okay it's not his blood <laughs> love it always think it's cool always good <laughs> I don't know what my Charlie Zenith is because it's just sort of like I don't know the whole movie. So mine is the fight with Max. Yeah, uh, it's such a good fight because what what the thing about it is like in real life in the normal fight uh, there's no way Charlie's there and could actually fight Tom Hardy, but. The movie presents the situation and the like, the logistics of the positioning of everyone, and makes it make sense. Yeah, like gives her the upper hand enough that uh, he's chained to someone, which is definitely a liability. Someone and like about the face. Yeah, (laughs) it's carrying a car door. Yeah, uh, and like, and there are other people around to help her, her, her as well. So like, they're yanking on his chain and stuff, literally. 
yanking his chain and it's attached to his face. She's in her element, like she knows where the hidden weapons are and like is whacking at him with a wrench and stuff like that. It's a really real feeling fight. And like just the expressions on everyone's faces, like mm-hmm. everyone's really scared and trying yeah. really hard and you know, like grunting and like grimacing and all that kind of stuff. It's like it's just it's just phenomenal. Yeah, I, I love that whole fight sequence and I think one of the best parts of it is before it begins. So Tom Hardy is like holding a shotgun to one of the wives and is like, give me water then, like, you know, use the bolt cutters to free me. And it you keep seeing, like, the wives react to this dude being there, and it keeps showing Charlize Theron, and she just looks like a dog that's just waiting yes. for a moment to yes. run. Like, you see in every fiber of her being, she's like, the moment your guard is down, I am coming for you. And yep. she does! And she does! And yeah. it's great because you don't, like, the way that it's shot, where it's just, like, all of a sudden you see her, and, like, she's already in motion, like, coming at him. Did you ever see that photograph that uh, a wildlife photographer took just, like, a second before he got in his Jeep of a lion that was just starting to charge at him? Oh, Jesus and I don't most, ever want to see that. It is the most fucking terrifying <laughs> Huh. Photograph I've ever seen. It's accelerating so fast, and its teeth are bearing, and it's like its face is all pulled back. And Charlie's Theron's face is doing the same thing in the moment that she goes in for the kill on this fight. Like wow, it's it's so like her face is just like like the most vicious human face I've ever seen. I think she nails it. Yeah, she's she absolutely gets it. I I like the it already came up, but I like the scene with the rifle where. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's necessarily the Charlize-ness of it all, but mm-hmm. I'm also not as up to speed as you guys are. That's- <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I love that moment. Like, I obviously, as you know, fell in love with Charlize Theron as an actress when she screamed, you will do this for me, Huntsman. <laughs> and, like, and then I had seen Young Adult as well. And, like, this movie, I just think, is, like, part of, like, the triumvirate of, like, reasons for wanting to do this podcast right. at all. I, I just think it's one of the the best Charlie's Theron performances that we are lucky to have. Blessed to have on this earth. So, who is Keanu? Oh, fuck. I didn't think so, of that. So, it's, it's a hard thing to pick. I'm going to go boring and be like, I think that this movie would have worked with Keanu as Mad Max. Really? Yes. I could see it working. Um, he's a little too pretty to be mad. Yeah, he's not, like, they can ugly him up. They, he's not no, curly enough. <laughs> he doesn't have like the build to be like like a hulking yeah. sort of. But the thing is, like original Mad Max, yeah. original Mad Max wasn't like that. Like okay. Mel Gibson's pretty trim. You know, but again, it's not it's super important because exactly. The, the anyway, the other is, movies don't need to exist for this movie to be what it is. For sure. Um, but anyway, so but yeah, I mean, he does play John Wick very well. So yeah. it's like. You know, yeah, I, I think he can be an action star. I just, I, if that is who you want, that's who you get. Yeah. I, just, I, <laughs> um, I would replace Immortan Joe. No, because uh, no, I don't want it. Because just I, want. I just want the speech <laughs> at the beginning to be in Keanu voice. <laughs> the, yeah, they're my property or whatever. <laughs> that in Keanu Reeves voice, they're my property. No, <laughs> would be so weird. <laughs> I can't accept that. I'm sorry. <laughs> too disgusting. Uh, I think we just say if that's who you want, that's who you want. That's <laughs> <laughs> the Robin Elaine Hitchcock. <laughs> I'll do a bit. Let's go ahead and make him a concubine. Or I could also see him as the bullet master guy or whatever, the warlord guy. The, the, I am the scales of justice! Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, I did think about him playing the sweet flame guitar. Uh, oh! Yeah, he can actually play guitar. No, that's the right answer. I, I thought about that, but I also, there's part of me that wonders, like, if he wouldn't be good as Nicholas Holt. Have him if all, we had baby Keanu? Yes. Yeah. Like, okay. all shaved up. 
Because I think because Nicholas yeah. Holt yeah. does have that sort of like prettiness about him, yeah. and the the War Boys have that sort of like ethereal quality that I think would fit with Keanu. I think Nicholas Holt is great in this, but his sort of like innocent violence, yeah, uh, would be interesting to see. Keanu. I think that's uh, good casting. That, but that iconic line would be very different. If Which just, one? What a lovely day. Yeah, I would. I would like that. Also, what a lovely I, day! It would be cute if his <laughs> if his tumors were Bill and Ted instead of Larry and Barry. <laughs> those are those are my two thoughts. I'm. I think we should uh, retroactively make Buff Shields choose it to be the guitar player. Nope, not doing it. I can retroactively choose the guitar player. I would argue that this movie has a prison. Right? I was I gonna say, yeah. say that that actually. When I lied when I said I took no notes, I did write down. Does this count? <laughs> it's, it's a yes. one man prison yes. riot. <laughs> I think so. Okay. Was anyone else sort of upset by, so he's trying to escape and they like tattooed this whole like blood information on his back and that he's the property of Immortan Joe and he's going to like, because the war boys are constantly dying, I guess, like be their donor. But as they're chasing him, they go through what seems to be a very nice puddle of water. And I'm like, don't you guys need this water? And maybe you shouldn't have like filthy humans running all up in in it. Like what is going on with that segment? I thought about that too. I, th- I assume that people aren't normally meant to go that way. Like okay. you just... That was the, the I think that that was left over from when they do the spill off thing. It was like yeah. it didn't quite make it. But uh, I also I love that sequence because everything about like he's making such like again such a huge amount of effort to escape and he's like very effectively fighting them off. Like he's this giant guy and they're all these like little skinny dudes. But then my favorite part is when he gets to the the edge mm-hmm. of the like the door that opens out and just on the side of the cliff and there's conveniently the hook going up and I, I remember seeing it in the theater being like oh okay that's convenient. But then the mechanic of where he like jumps and like hangs his chain on it and he swings away and then of course just swings, swings back. <laughs> and it's like oh yeah that's what would happen. Yeah yeah, and they like grab hooks and are like we're just gonna pull you in. Yeah it's like he was convincingly overwhelmed which is something that happens in the previous movies as well by the way but I've stopped talking about those but that's like a mechanic that goes throughout Mad Max uh he's like he is incredibly skilled and incredibly tough but that's not always enough it's not enough uh so like they're like hooking him in and then also they don't just hook him in and like grab him they also put like a rubber sheet over his face so he can't see and breathe Mm -hmm. I was like yeah that was that is very overpowering yeah they (laughs) fucking got him back the whole movie's kind of one big prison riot it is the fallout it is the fallout of a prison riot yeah Yeah, I mean the it's the escape yeah that's true so what you were saying about like wanting to know like the backstory of like how the wives get radicalized i am also curious like what is the deal with the war boys like do they select certain people to be war boys and then they like poison them or something to like make them better like why are they hairless and white when the other people aren't i assume Um, they were just shaved and painted like it was part of their ritual because doesn't nicholas holt get less white over the course of the movie or am i imagining yeah he does okay they like scar their lips right yeah Yeah. and they have got like staples on their face that guy had i think just like an injury yeah yeah but i also think there's something about them being half-life and other people being full life and i don't know if that's just like mythology of like them being uh like suicide fighters I that they call themselves it, it yeah. or if they actually yeah. do die young. But because because well, one of the wives are sick. Yeah, because that's of the why they need says, blood bags. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. That's but I don't know. Like, you raise an interesting point of did they start out sick or do they make them sick? Yeah. But like that, that's part of the appeal of the movie is like you don't know. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. You, you have to think about that and it's, you know, every answer is right. Oh, also another thing I think that we have to talk about that I think is like iconic in this movie is there is a point where Immortan Joe is going to shoot Furiosa 
and Splendid comes out of the car, like, with her pregnant body and, like, defends Furiosa from him. And he won't shoot her because that's his favorite or whatever. Most action movies, most movies do not kill pregnant women. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And this movie, like, you see her start to, like, fall off and then she gets rescued and then she does fall off and is killed. And I remember being, like, both, like, horrified but also kind of impressed that the movie went there because, like, it is such a horrific wasteland and then later you see them like kind of like wait for her to die and then like cut the baby out of her uh which again like glad they don't show it although they do show someone like nibbling on the umbilical cord which is a bit yeah, gross, gross. Or, he, or he like does it like a he rubber like, band yeah, he, like, it's gross it's gross it's very gross <laughs> but yeah i remember being very surprised in in that moment i will say also another through line through other mad max movie there's women strong women getting killed and also strong women in general like yeah. this is not like when people come, start complaining oh this is there's too many strong women in this movie as apparently was a thing people uh, are jerks that's uh, throat like that is that is a Mad Max trope good <laughs> not so much the dead part yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know it's a weird thing to be like I'm so glad they killed a pregnant woman but I'm kind of <laughs> no like, I totally I like with you I like it's the, unexpected and stakes yeah. raising yes yeah. and also not in a way that I feel like the reason they most often kill pregnant women is to make a man be really mad about something right um, yeah this has the opposite effect mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So this actually neutralizes Immortan Joe's chase mm-hmm. like he yeah. stops chasing them after that yeah I saw one thing that interested me that was well first of all the weird spray paint inhalant stuff mm-hmm. that they spray oh, in their mouth yeah, yeah. I read in the INDB trivia that it's supposed to be like a powerful drug of some sort yeah not necessarily just like a ritual thing and then also at one point he talks about having a mick feast in valhalla which is something that i would not have caught if the subtitles weren't on same but i like the little details thrown in of like old the culture still like it's also comic crazy like it's like yeah this is our world yeah. Right? They have yeah. things pulled from our culture that have yeah, like they trickled ref- down. They refer to water as aqua cola. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I also, I like the, the chrome spray paint thing both as like a drug, but also the like the witness thing that they do. Yeah. Where they're like, I'm yeah. about to kill myself, but like, I need you all to look at me. Yeah. yeah their, their mythology is great. Yeah. Like, the, I'm awaited in Valhalla kind yeah. of thing, witness me, all that stuff. Like, it's really cool. <laughs> the other or thing. the little tree of, uh, the, or big tree of steering wheels they all go in, like, watch uh, yeah. that before yeah. they go in their, the chase. Yeah, I think there's, like, like how much that symbolism is needed for people to do these things that would otherwise be so obviously not a thing that anyone people would choose. choose to do. Yeah. The other thing we should uh, mention, which is incredibly significant and very, very good, uh, is the score. Oh, yeah. It's got an unbelievably good musical score done by uh, someone called Tom Hollenbaker. I don't know. He's, he's a... I, for a second, I thought you were going to say Tom Holland, and I was like, Spider-Man did the score? <laughs> no, because that like, kid is talented. <laughs> when he was like 18. <laughs> Quadruple threat. He goes, he goes by the name Junkie XL. Oh, uh, I've heard of Junkie XL. So uh, he has a real name. Okay. Uh, and uh, so, and he's now, uh, I think, doing a lot of movie scores because of this. So uh, good. Awesome. But yeah, it was great. It, like, it's a very, if you're uh, feeling unmotivated at the gym or something, put the Mad Max theme tune on and you're fucking going like a beast. Nice. <laughs> I, like, I think this movie does a good job of, like, each of the elements being so strong individually. Like, yeah. like I was joking before about, like, oh, God, you get tired of looking at yellow. Like, it's a very specific color palette. And when I it changes to blue, that is also very specific. But there, I do think there are, like, moments of humor, like, woven into this, mm-hmm. like, grim story. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and one of my favorite parts of the whole movie is after they've driven through 
a, a an electrical like sandstorm and like people get like ripped apart and Tom Hardy and uh, Nicholas Holt's car gets shredded. We cut to basically the sandstorm having passed over them and you see like this beautiful landscape of like hills and like plateaus. And then all of a sudden it slowly starts to move and you realize that it's not actually a distant landscape. It's Tom Hardy's face just covered in sand. Yeah. Uh, and he kind of like stands up through it. And like, that's just like a visual gag that I think like is I really think effective. I think it's fascinating you found that humorous. I just thought it was beautiful. Oh. <laughs> I mean, like, I I do understand. Yes, that is sort of funny. I, yeah. I just thought of that as like a ooh, pretty moment. More yeah. Than anything else. <laughs> Something I wanted to say about the color palette is that when Colin bought this, it came with the black and chrome edition, oh, yeah, yeah. which is a high contrast black and white version of it. Yeah. Started watching it. It's weird to start watching a movie right after you finish watching it. Right. It was not really working. So apparently that's the director's favorite version. Like that's what he had apparently intended to do huh. uh, was to make it in black and white. Uh, and then the studio was like, no, 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 you can't do that. Yeah. And then they did, then did the opposite. It's where they, so colorful. Yeah. They so made saturated. it very high saturation because mm-hmm. he was like, well, most other post-apocalyptic movies are like deeply unsaturated. Like, yes. Very sepia tone. Like, uh, much the road, like the road, or much so I love uh, the Book of Eli. Like everything is the same color, in the right? Book of Eli. So they did the opposite here. And the other thing is, the um, George Miller's wife is the editor. Oh yeah. And the reason that uh, she she volunteered to do it because she was like, this movie is so like action oriented. If a if a guy edits this, it's just gonna seem like any other action movie, right? So she she volunteered to do it, and like he. Uh, I guess let her and uh, and won an Oscar. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. People have talked before about it having a female editor helping with the avoiding the male gaze with the wives. Yeah. Issues. Yes. Another thing that, although this movie is different from a lot of post-apocalyptic movies in the terms of saturation, another thing that they avoid that I'm like, yes, thank you. So I have a weird thing about red light in theater, which I think I've talked about before, where if someone gets raped in a play, I know you've talked about it a lot in real life. I (laughs) get so mad. It's such an easy, boring choice. We all know to expect it. It doesn't have the emotional impact. We think it's going to make a different choice, like designers. And I don't think that this movie has that go-to at all. Yeah. If anything, like, I think, like, green is the is the color that they go for right. as like a change red is really only present in the guitar also can i just say i'm so glad they don't make out like I'm oh so god happy that they oh that'd do be the worst thing in the world because i'm often in favor like i think when people liked that they didn't make out at the end of pacific rim i'm like no i want them to make out i am often <laughs> in favor of kissing uh, but it is, it would not have worked here. I want to talk about the Oscars real oh, quick okay, and oh, how wonderful yeah. it was when this movie won all those Oscars <laughs> because, you know, that was the year The Revenant came out, which I hated. And it was like, oh, God, I'm going to have to sit through The Revenant winning all these technical awards because The Revenant, while a very boring and uninteresting movie, was very technically impressive. Yes. And I do think that... What's-His-Face deserved his cinematography Oscar, one of his 15, but it was so nice that the technical accomplishments of this movie were recognized by the Academy, and then so great, the woman who designed the costumes, (laughs) strutting down in her leather, was just one of my, you know, I'm a huge (laughs) Oscar stork, and that will go down as one of my favorite moments of the Academy Awards. 
<laughs> loved it. I wish I knew her name. Whoever you are, you're a hero. I also liked like that it both got like Oscar cred, but also that this was like a huge popular movie. Yeah. Like I don't think it was just people like us who were like, ah, it's cars blowing up and feminism. Like yeah. I think it was like a lot of people really liked it. Yeah. And that it became like a cultural touchstone. And I think also like brought Charlize back into I mean, this is her John Wick. Yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And like there would be no atomic blonde without this movie. Right. You know, like I'm sure she could have still done Tully or things like that, you know, but I just I think this like sort of upped her people paying attention to Charlie's there yeah. again. Justin Tunney, what was your impression of the movie? Uh having seen it like in weird parts before. I loved it. I, I mean I was I was honestly just engrossed the whole movie i i find it difficult to watch movies and pay attention a lot of the time <laughs> to a whole movie like even like watching it knowing that i have to talk about it yeah. much different than mighty joe young because it's like then i was just making fun of it the whole time and this is more like i would the whole time i was like i don't even know what i'm gonna say because i just think it's good yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah i know what you're talking about <laughs> i know it's like we I wanted to bring you on because we had such hilarious bits before, but I'm kind of like, it's hard to do bits about this movie that I'm just like, it's great. It's, it's just really great. Good. Bob Shields was saying his one note was obviously great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how does it compare to Mighty Joe Young? Um, yeah, I guess this is a good transition into ranking. Yes. I'll, I'll so do my rankings we'll start first. With rankings. I'll do my rankings first. I've seen two Charlie's Theron movies and I've also seen Arrested Development. So I'm going to put Arrested Development at the bottom of the list. I'm cool. Valid. I'm going to put Mighty Joe Young second place. Great watchability, though. I would watch again. Yeah. I would watch many times over. To uh, me, that was the surprise of this podcast. Yes. <laughs> I think that I am, that is the movie I am most surprised by how much I liked it. I was happy to be there for it. And then I'd put Mad Max Fury Road as number one. I would watch it again probably today. Yeah. <laughs> I just watched it last night. Less yeah. than 24 hours. Less than 12 hours ago, I watched it. Yeah. So I would watch it. I would watch it again right now. I, I It was really good. So uh, I also love this movie. Going into this podcast, like at the beginning, pretty sure it's like, yeah, that's probably going to be my number one. Yeah. But then things change, evolve, whatever, and it's actually not going to be my number one. Okay. Um, and for reasons that it's, firstly, the first time you watch it, it is this thrilling, unfamiliar spectacle that is like the that you've never seen before. And then the second I watch it, it's like, well, I know what's going to happen now. Like, I know, I kind of know what to expect. Uh, so it doesn't have, it, it definitely benefits from never having seen it. Also, it benefits from being in the biggest, brightest, largest screen that you can get, as loud as you can get it. Like, it really needs to be a spectacle. Not that it doesn't hold up on a small screen, but it's definitely improved by being on a big screen. Colin and I have been talking about buying a bigger television, even though this is completely unnecessary. But <laughs> in the first few minutes of this movie, he made this, like, he, like, stretched out his hands. Yeah. And he was like, what if we had one this big? That's adorable. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the right time to make that argument. Yes. Uh, so it suffers from a similar thing that Kubo and the Two Strings suffered from. Yeah. Which is, like, it needs to be big and spectacular right. in order to get the full... But this is a much better movie. Magical. Yeah, I am putting this one above Kubo okay. and one below Monster. This was really difficult for me to rank it because, again, like I said, like I think I think this is top five movie-going experiences of my entire life. Yeah. But watching it a second time, I don't know if it's one of the top five movies of my life. Sure. Like, I do think that... Part of the 
the strength of the movie is the experience. And I don't know if it was just like watching it a second time, like you said, like being familiar with it, it sort of takes away from it a little bit. And I don't know, like I haven't seen it enough for it to be like a comfort movie in a way where I'm sort of like, ah, this is when this happens. So I feel like that's sort of like, changed where I was thinking of ranking it. I'm also trying to think of like rewatchability. Like there's part of me that I'm like, would I be more willing to be like, let's put on Fury Road or let's put on The Devil's Advocate? I'm like, I don't know. I (laughs) might watch The Devil's Advocate again first. So I will say like, for those couple of reasons, like I really toyed with actually putting this below The Devil's Advocate and above Fate of the Furious, which would make it my number seven. Again, like I know... I know we've been doing this for 51 episodes and I keep having to remind myself that I'm trying to rank them based on Charlize's performance, not just the movie itself. Yeah. And like this performance is just so important Mm -hmm. that I am going to have to give it its due. And I I will put it in fourth place, which is below Tully and above Atomic Blonde. Okay. So I'm glad that I was worried you guys were going to be like, number one! And I was going to feel... Because I honestly... I think it's a tie. (laughs) Like, I really do think that this and Young Adult are a tie for number one for me. But if I must choose, this is going to be my number two. If only because I think because of Regina's theory. And if, you know, if I have to decide, even though I haven't been using that rubric, I think that this is Mad Max is the best movie that Charlize Theron is in. But Young Adult is the best Charlize Theron movie. Yes, Interesting. that makes sense. So gotcha. this is going to be my number two, but it's the tiniest of differences. Yeah. I think this movie is incredible. I have watched it several times. Yeah. I hadn't watched it since we started the podcast a little over a year ago. And I kept wanting to watch it and being like, no, I need it needs to be more fresh yes. when we record the episode. And watching it again last night, I was like, this is just so good. I also yeah. rewatched both Young Adult and Tully last week mm. so that I could really know. It is slightly disappointing for me to put this movie not in first place, but it's the truth. The thing that you said about, like, this is the number one Charlize Theron movie and this is the number one Charlize Theron performance. Yeah. I feel that or way. A movie with Charlize Theron yes, versus sorry. Charlize Theron movie. I feel that way that, that, that both of those are true for Monster, which is my number one. So I think that Monster is the best Charlize Theron performance. Oh. Right? Wow, this is these are yeah. very small differences. Can can we make your ranking list like an optical illusion where like when you <laughs> blink it's different? Yeah. <laughs> it's if you listen to it in headphones it says Yanny and yeah. if you listen to it on your speaker it says Laurel. That's yeah. gonna age so well. <laughs> we all remember the blue and gold no, dress. I I meant that sincerely, not as a okay. dick move. Like I like it like in my wedding, I was like, I'm gonna wear my glasses. So when I look at it like that was that era of my life. Yes, absolutely. When I look at my wedding photos i'm like oh that's before we started drawing on our eyebrows <laughs> <laughs> how were charlie theron's eyebrows in this movie perfect uh just great i didn't notice them so probably good i, I mean it's de- definitely started the trend of like oil blacking up your forehead <laughs> although i have to say that was one part of the movie where i was like guys so like her like oil head had sort of worn off and then she like stuck her thumb in the wheel uh to like re-grease and she put like one like ash wednesday like blot on her forehead and the next shot it was like her entire skull it's just very lovely blending oh, too yeah. like That's I'm glad beautiful. they did it that way but it's still like come on yeah, yeah. She, was, she was raised to be a badass warrior you're right she can put oil makeup on her forehead yeah with the best of them alright so thanks for listening guys I know that it's been a long wait for some of you for us to get here and I hope that this wasn't a disappointment thanks Justin Tunney for being here no problem right, follow him on uh, Instagram on armpit yeah my Instagram handle is at armpit follow me on there unless you're an armpit fetishist you're also a great world builder uh, much like George Miller is oh. but you do, it, you do it on Instagram oh thank you <laughs> it is true 
Also, probably not going to be on stage again until July, but you can come see our junior at the Arcade Comedy That's Theater. That's right. Yes. On Justin's Instagram, he'll make an Insta story the next time we have a show, and it will be a delight. There you go. Great. Sweet. Thanks to Alex Reed for our theme song. And for hanging out this weekend. Oh yeah, it was great seeing you, Alex. And most of all, thank, thank you, Charlies! say we are not going to turn around and start over at the beginning <laughs> much though you might wish us to oh do God, that would be amazing that would honestly be amazing <laughs> if we just did them in reverse order yeah. so we got back to children of the corn three at urban harvest <laughs>